Welcome everybody to Mama Healing Trauma, where we are working to change the narrative around mental health and motherhood. I'm joined today by a very special guest, Amy Rush with Inspired Dying. Amy is a healer, a medium, and a death doula who offers end-of-life education, support, and inspiration to anyone who is struggling with dying, death, or grief. In today's conversation, she shares her expertise on the delicate art of dying with dignity, helping us to unravel the beauty, grace, and healing that can be found in the transition from life to what comes next. For all my mamas with trauma out there that are struggling with grief or the loss of a loved one or facing the loss of a loved one, You do not want to miss this episode because I know you're going to gain as much from Amy as I did. So without further ado, Amy Rush with Inspired Dying. Connect. I'm so excited. So excited uh, to have this conversation with you. And I think I want to begin um, just with you sharing your journey to the work that you're doing. So I'm a certified death doula, and I'm also a practicing medium, and they work together as this beautiful bridge to connect dying death and the afterlife, which is all just part of life. And I got into it thanks to, and I do mean thanks to, my own father's passing. My sister and I navigated that. We did the last two weeks of his life at her house in her dining room. We turned it into his room, his bedroom, and we navigated that process together. And it was amazing, beautiful, miraculous, um, blessed, joyous, all the things. And of course, it was sad, tragic, horrible, um, nightmarish, was all those things. It was all the things. And so I also happened to see all the holes in the process that our culture like has created over time, I would say, humanity in general, and just the way that um, our healthcare systems don't really serve us in that time frame, even the most well-intentioned ones like hospice providers and hospice programs, even with all the support we had, even with my sister being an MD, there were still so many holes in the process. And once he passed, I just knew that I had to be a person that helped fill those holes for other people. And I out what that might look like in the world, in our current culture. And I came up with this death doula role that really fit the bill perfectly for me. We've been around since the beginning of time. We just haven't necessarily called ourselves this. And in fact, I always talk about how we're all death doulas because we all used to take care of each other this way and be very connected to the life cycle, including dying and death. And we held that wisdom and we passed it on to each other. Um, And then over time, as the world became more industrialized and we moved out of the house and our family affairs moved out of the house and medical treatment moved out of the house, we became disconnected from that life cycle. And we kind of forgot (laughs) to lean into it and to pass our earned wisdom along to loved ones. So in a way, in many ways, this role's always existed. We just became disconnected from it um, as a species, as humans. And so the rise of this role now makes so much sense because I think as a collective, we're figuring out that, yes, we have all these systems and structures in place in our culture that supposedly 
help us and are there to support us. And in large ways they do, but they don't solve all of our problems and they don't help us in all the ways that we need. And we're so much more bigger and powerful and capable than we as individuals realize. And anytime we turn to a structure or a system to answer all of our questions, that's not going to work. Right. And so I think as a collective, we're reconnecting with that individual wisdom and the death doula role is fitting right into that. And um, it's just a way for us to turn to each other once again and say, hey, I've been there. I've walked this path. Let me hold your hand while you're on it, too. So my grandmother committed suicide when my mom was 16. And my mom had a really hard time accepting that her mother had passed. And so my mother asked if she could see her mother. It was a closed casket funeral. Um, and they opened the casket. And my mom witnessed her mother's body. Um, um, and because of that, my mom had a really strong passion and connection um, to death. Um, she was a voluntary hospice. And so for many years, inside of her own mental health struggles, she would go to families that were losing a loved one and spend time with them. My mom spent most of her life in and out of the hospital. I was really raised in the mental health care system in the United States. My mom was hospitalized the first time in Washington, D.C. when I was four. We were picked up outside of the White House at four in the morning. My mom had gone there to talk to the president and she was hospitalized against her will, put in straitjackets in front of me, received shock treatments um, and hundreds of hospitalizations my entire life. And so when my mom passed, you know, my one desire was that she didn't pass in the hospital. And so she had a pneumonia infection. When the pneumonia infection came back, uh, she told me that she she was ready to go. Um, the hospitals and the doctors basically told me that if she didn't go under, it was going to pass within 24 hours. My mom um, said to me, I'm ready to go. And I wasn't ready to let her go. And so she went under one more time for me. She had battled infections and sepsis like seven times the year between her almost passing and her passing. And so we got to spend that time together knowing she was going under and knowing that there was a high likelihood that inevitably she would pass away. Um, and we danced to the time of my life, which was our favorite movie growing up. And inevitably, you know, my mom's health took a turn for the worst. And, um, you know, this is during COVID, which I'm sure you have plenty of families that you've been working with around the sterileness and the operational minutia that was COVID. And so basically for the course of seven days, they were trying to get her health stabilized enough that I could take her home so that she could pass at home. And on day four, they said, you know, I think we're going to be able to get her stabilized enough to take her off intubation, transfer her via an ambulance, um, and hopefully have some time at home. So I had set up the medical beds and set up the house 
And I bought candles and lotions to massage her and various things. And and then they called me. I was in a store. I'll never forget it. I was buying candles. And they said, you know, if we continue to keep her on the intubator, it's just going to prolong her death and make it more painful. And at this point, we don't think she's going to get to a place that we can take her home. Um, and that, you know, we hope that you can take her off of the intubation today. And so the nurses at the hospital knew, because I was hysterical, right, screaming and crying that I just didn't want her to die in a hospital. And the most beautiful gift probably anyone's ever given me is that when I came back in, um, like 12 nurses had moved, you know, her medical grade hospital bed, the very heavy one, out onto the patio. And they allowed me to sit with her um, on this patio overlooking the mountains. And it was everything you just said. Um, We healed our relationship with each other um, in those final moments. We healed generations of trauma inside of her death. And her death really freed me of, you know, a lifelong guilt that I held that her pain was somehow my fault. And she really set me free of that. And so um, I tell you all of that. It's a very long story because between my mom's love for voluntary hospice and her death and my grandmother, I think that the work that you're doing is so incredibly important. And another gift that I was given is I was able to transfer her body natural funeral in Colorado. And I was able to go into a room um, with her body for several hours and bathe her and be with her. And I think given um, that she never got to, sorry, say goodbye to her mom, um, I think, you know, I got to really break that generational trauma inside of that experience. So I think the work that you're doing is so incredibly important. Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much for sharing that story. It's so illustrative of what can happen when we sit with the process and i don't mean like physically sit and i mean physically like it's kind of both right like to just be present with what's going on the potential for healing to happen there for movement of energy for movement towards healing all those things can happen in that space and You know, and what I love too is that you acknowledge that, yes, it wasn't your ideal situation and you had this like master plan for her end of life. And it's kind of like a lot of us who have, who have been pregnant and had, and birth plans (laughs) and, you know, good joke in obstetrics is like, oh yeah, sure. Make your birth plan. Um, (laughs) We'll see how that hangs out. And, and look, the baby, the baby's going to do what it's going to do. The, your mother, your human body's going to do what it's going to do to take care of the situation. And, and, and that happens in dying in death too. Like we can have all these beautiful plans and they don't necessarily come to fruition, but we get what we need in it, even when we don't realize that what happens. And you took what minutes and hours and days you were given as a gift. And so did these nurses that helped you do it in a very sacred way. Major kudos to them. Major. Because that is, uh, and I'm not saying this of nurses, I'm saying it of how people die in general in our culture. That is not the standard experience, what you just mentioned. That's an exceptional experience. And, you know, and I look at it, I kind of have a different lens for it too. I, I wonder, 
and there's this part of me that feels this very strongly. So I think there's probably truth to it. I'm wondering if she gave you that gift of passing in the hospital on the patio surrounded by the mountains so that it wasn't in your home and you didn't tether memories there and you didn't quote unquote suffer that experience there, right? Um, it For me, it almost seems like a protective motherly instinct of hers to say, oh, no, no, I, I know you want to help me this way, but actually I'm going to help you this way. And, and she gave you that gift of doing that. So major kudos to all of you for leaning into that space. And so if you were to tell the general population one biggest mis- misconception um, around death or the, the, the pain point that makes you the craziest around how we do it in the United States, what would that be? It would be that we are not our disease. We are not our diagnosis. We are not the disease process. We are not medical treatment. There is so much more to us than that. We are so much bigger than that. And our experience in dying and death is so much bigger than that. I don't even think death is a medical process. I just don't. Um, Many people die from a disease uh, and from illness, but death itself is not medical. What do you think death is? Passage to what's next, a passage to going back home where we came from. It's just another door we walk through. And so my six-year-old little girls... um, One of them was sick, and she has been asking all the questions six-year-old little girls ask. How old are you? What happens when you die? I don't want you to die. What is heaven like? Um, Explain your viewpoint and belief around those questions. Those are such beautiful questions. Oh, what a what a wise little wonder you have in your house. And we thank her for asking those because it gets all of us thinking, right? <laughs> and I will tell you what I know to be true because I have evidence for it in my practice as a death doula and a medium that in death we return home, which is to light, which is to love. It's to love. There's love and then there's everything else. <laughs> And everything else is what we as humans have created. And our source, that which we return home to, is love. We do cross to that. I am wholly convinced of it. And so I believe that I have a very strong spiritual connection to something outside of myself. I believe my mom sends me rainbows. The day she passed, she sent me a rainbow. The day my cousin passed, she sent me a double rainbow. When I'm really confused, I'll be in the shower. The girls are in the shower with me and I'm washing my hair and a rainbow comes through the bathroom under my hands. She's definitely sent me rainbows. And the first two years she passed, I was so relieved that she was no longer in pain. But as time has gone on, I miss her. And so obviously through the work you do as a medium, um, it helps people feel connected to the loved ones that they're missing. And so I guess my question to you is, 
the part of grief that just longs to be close to the person that you've lost? What do you say to that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I don't ever attempt to fix it, and I don't promise anybody I'm going to fix it. What I do in my work is show people that we don't end, we don't die, uh, and that we very much stay with our loved ones and actively help them, and sometimes in greater ways than we ever could have in this 3D world, this this physical world, this material world. Um, and I also point out that and very much encourage people to be in conversation with their past loved ones. We are absolutely 100% co-creating this reality with the spiritual realm. No question about it. And they are there to help us. That's why they exist. That's why we had this human life together. And that's why they crossed before us and they're on the other side. It's all for help. It's all benevolence. And so we can ask them and should, and they're waiting for us, to ask them for help, ask them for signs, ask them to come through, ask them to be with us at tough meetings for work, to be with our child and protection when they're taking a trip away from home without mom. You know, they're waiting to be called in that way. But like we're on a free choice planet, they're on in a free choice realm as well and they also have a non-interference clause so they can't like come in and swoop down and like do things for us and make things happen just because we wish it on a whim but they also can't help us without us asking <laughs> so we need to ask and we need to call them in and so we can be in conversation with them because we are co-creating with them i know this is getting a little bit metaphysical here and i have a rainbow story for you i love to share since you have a rainbow connection with your mom i had been talking to my best friend from college and her father was in the icu very very sick and her mother had, had just crossed as well. And a couple months later, her father was was getting ready to. And she called me so upset because, of course, she was. She, here she is losing another beloved parent in just a few months' time. And I said, okay, you know, I'm on a walk right now, but it's a meditative walk. It's a prayerful walk. So let me see if I can connect in with him and see, you know, if he's got any messages to share. And she said, oh, well, that'd be great. And so I did. And I said, um, Dad, you know, I, I'm wondering if you can show your daughter a sign to give her some comfort. And he said, Amy, I'm in, I'm in rainbows. I'm in rainbows. And I'm in that light. I'm in rainbow light. And I'm so comforted here. And I'm so happy and comfortable here. Tell her not to worry that everything's going as planned and that I'm in the transitions phase, but I'm in rainbows. And I thought, okay, <laughs> that's beautiful, but can we show my friend that? I know you can't see me, but I'm crying when you say that. I know that right now you can't see me, but I'm literally over here crying. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets better. It gets better. Get out the tissues. So so we said, let's call her Ian. Let's, let's make sure that we can show Ian that you're okay. And mind you, he was intubated. He was in unresponsive. He was actively dying. And he said, okay, I got it. I, I will. And so I disconnected from him, wished him well. And then 
I called my friend and I said, Anne, I did talk to him. He talked a lot about rainbows. He talked a lot about being in rainbow light. He's okay. And he's going to show you he's okay. I don't know how, but he is. And she goes, okay, thank you so much. That's great. And I think she kind of believed, didn't believe, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That all seemed very like pretty and convenient. And of course it was, because that's what spirit does. And a few minutes later, I get a call from her and she is choked up and she's like, you're not going to believe this. And of course I believed it. She said, I just went in to see dad and he had been completely unresponsive, had been moved to the hospital from his assisted living facility. We didn't know what clothes he had on. We actually had never seen his clothing before. It was covered up with a hospital robe. He was wearing a shirt I had never seen before, and he had been unresponsive. And I walked in after your phone call. He turned his head, opened his eyes, looked directly into mine, pulled down the hospital gown, and on his shirt was a rainbow. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. She had never seen the shirt before. She didn't know he owned it. She has no idea where it came from. Oh my gosh. I have chills. Yeah, me too. I get I get chills every time I tell it. And then mm. to cap it all off, um, she and her brothers had to make some tough decisions about his care. And one was to let him go because he could not remain intubated. There was no quality of life there. And so they had to have a really hard discussion. And I think it was the next day to stop, to stop. And they did. And she walked out of the hospital after that discussion to go home. I think she had to pick a kid up from kindergarten or something. You know, we all have to go back to like our real lives. It's really hard. And she's she's leaving the hospital and she's literally like looking in the sky for a rainbow. Like, dad, give me a sign that I made the right choice. I'm so, so sorry. Please let me know you're okay. Give me a sign. And she's looking in the sky. There's no rainbow. But there's one woman walking directly at her straight through an otherwise empty parking lot. She is the only human being in the parking lot. And she walks straight up to my friend and then straight past her. And she had a rainbow across her shirt. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. And let me tell you, there there are no coincidences and there are no accidents. Those things don't exist. Those are human-like creations that get in our own way. There's no such thing as coincidence or accident. That is a sign. And she got it. It's amazing. Those moments, the rainbows for me... They are the reason that I have faith. They have given me faith and healing and hope. And so because my podcast is around um, trauma and mama healing trauma, so many um, people have really severe medical trauma and obviously trauma surrounding death of loved ones. Um, I've lost several friends. One of them was my best friend. Um, she was valedictorian of Mizzou's journalism school and uh, got a kidney stone and was put on Oxycontin. And six months later, she had died, passed, passed away. And, you know, I think a lot of times when someone passes very tragically, you're left with guilt or remorse that you could have done something differently or should have done something differently And so do you have any experiences of helping people work through those feelings as you connect to their loved ones? um, And what advice would you give someone who's struggling with that? 
Yeah, excellent question. So I think I want to revisit or visit for the first time really why I'm a practicing medium. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's to get at that because I myself received so much healing that was instantaneous from mediumship that connected me to the other side. And the messages I received from across the veil healed me instantaneously of guilt, shame, suffering, anguish, sadness, in ways that decades of talk therapy hadn't, antidepressants hadn't, any number of releases hadn't. And I'm not saying don't do all those things. Please do all those things. Take care of yourself. You know, follow all the expert advice, do all the things, but also know there's more. There's more to the story. There's more to your story. And that sometimes that connection across the veil can help you lift yourself out of those burdens that you carry and be able to set them aside and put them down. It doesn't mean they go away. It doesn't mean they don't exist. It means your load gets lightened. And can't we all benefit from that, right? So I'm a practicing medium because I received that healing for mediumship. And once I knew, once I accepted in myself that I had that power, we all do, by the way, how could I not help other people make those connections? How could I not? Um, I was getting, I would be getting in the way of source, God, spirit, energy, whatever you want to call it, to keep this modality to myself. And so going back to what you just said about we all have it in us, and I know I've been following you and you're teaching um, workshops and classes around how to develop that ability. Is that, that's correct, right? Yes, it is. Okay. And so tell me about that experience for people. You know, I think I have a very, you know, some people call it spidey sense, intuition. You know, I've definitely felt before that I have... Um, some of those attributes. And so tell me about the classes that you host and that you teach and what you've witnessed. Yeah. So in my gatherings and anytime I have even these conversations about spiritual connection, the first thing I tell people is we all have it within us to connect. We are connected. We just are. Um, the way that humanity has evolved and our culture has evolved, our societies have evolved, have we've disconnected from it, we've divorced from it, we've separated from it. All connection is, is a matter of getting back to that, which is already within us, which is in our heart. And so it's really a matter, and this is how I talk about it because this is how I discovered it, of turning off the noise of the larger world, the chatter of the larger world, our attachments to our worries, our fears, our anxieties. Doesn't mean they go away, doesn't mean they don't matter, but just turning them off and turning into our heart, which is never wrong, which is never traumatized, which doesn't hold a lot of any baggage, which is always pure. Uh, which is always there for us. And that's really source energy within all of us all the time. Now, whether or not 
you foster those connections such that you help other people in messaging like I do, that's kind of a different story. It's a huge responsibility and it's a huge, it's a different path than just connecting for your own sake, right? But all of us are connected. All of us have that power within us. We are that power. We just forgot. Big energy. It, it is. Okay, so I, I left you just at all of that is source energy. Oh, okay, yeah. So all of that is source energy, and that's who we are. It's all within us all the time. We are that. We just forgot. Yes. And so how do you help people reconnect to that to develop those abilities? Well, first, really um, give them permission to do it. <laughs> uh, a lot of us think this is like outside of us or we're not worthy of it or, or we don't have those gifts. Um, we've we've like done ourselves a great disservice that way in, in making ourselves small. So um, I give people permission to like um, let all that junk go because it's junk. It's distortion. And then I... Give them a space to feel free to connect in a, in, in a non-judgmental way, right? Where like we're just here to be our best selves and, and make some connections that are just healthier for us and feel better. And, and when we do that, um, more begets more, you know? And so just creating a safe space for people to do that in is a really big deal. More people can ask questions about spiritual connections, um, incidences they've had, share stories about signs and loved ones, ask questions about, okay, so I miss my dad so much. Where did he go? Do you even know? Um, you know, a lot of those spaces, they don't exist in our culture. So I wanted to create them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my cousin who I raised, she lost her mother. And then last year she lost her brother. And so she's a 27 year old orphan and she really struggles with spirituality. I found that the younger generation, I think just struggles with the unseen. It seems like more than my generation did and certainly more than my grandmother's generation. But her mom and brother are constantly coming in nightmares, right? She's having reoccurring nightmares. And what you're talking about with being able to ask those questions, like she can go talk about grief and she can go to a therapist and talk about the depression. But there hasn't been a space where she can go and open herself up, I guess, to the possibility that they're still here. And so I saw your post on Instagram, I think it was just a few days ago, and it sounded like you had just a really incredible, miraculous experience with a group of people last week. I mean, I guess what I'm really asking is when I read when I read your Instagram post, I'm like, what's happening in that room? I want to be there. Like it was well, a little it's a little cryptic. Yeah, it is cryptic because because I do create that safe space for people. So I don't want to go around mm -hmm. sharing other people's right. Story. Of course. And and what happened happened as a collective. And okay, what happened is that for the first time, it doesn't mean it's the first time it happened. I mean, it's the first time I fully accepted and saw what was happening. But the space that I had created, and I had been working to nurture for years, 
I saw like truly fully full circle work in that everyone else in the room helped everyone else in the room and it had nothing to do with me, mm-hmm. which is the whole point. Amazing. I'm here to empower people to know their own power. I know that sounds redundant, but it's not. And so that's what happened. Well, I mean, cryptic in a good way. You described what you left feeling. I'm still very early on my journey of walking into my life's work that, you know, where I am trying to find like my meaning and mission and purpose, which is to try to break the cycle of my grandmother and my mother and to help other women break the cycle. And I guess the post really exuded that you had really found your meaning and your purpose. And it's like you were in the thick of it, of the magic of like that deep connection. Yeah. And can I tell you something <laughs> that totally relates? Yes. You you have broken the cycle. You know that, right? Like you broke it. Okay. Right. It's not that it's yet to be broken. It's not that there's more work to do to break it. You, you broke it. It makes you really cry. Well, it's true. I mean... <laughs> you that's how you're doing this work you can't show up this way for other people unless you had already done the breaking so you don't have to carry the weight of like that there's more to do that way because you've done it now it's just showing that well thank you for that it really oh i think we're breaking up again (laughs) and i i agree shoot anything anytime with you if you want to do anything else right just don't worry about that part don't worry about me in it is my whole point thank you i do you you must feel the codependency coming from me i know i'm feeling like (laughs) overtaking responsibility right now and it's just really not necessary um and it's not how i roll and you know if we need to do this all over again word for word it doesn't bother me oh thank you yeah i did emdr for nine months last year um, once a week, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I stripped myself of all of my masks and I sat in it. Going back to the beginning of this conversation, you know, when you talked about sitting with death, I I lived in fear of losing my mom my whole life. And then once I finally lost her, sitting inside of losing her was not nearly as painful as the fear of losing her. And you think that that would have taught me a lesson to then stop being so afraid. But then my daughter got really sick. Um, She had a neuroinflammatory brain reaction to strep. It's a very like invisible illness. It's pretty controversial. And her psych symptoms literally mirrored my mom's to like a T. She was like Tourette's saying to get her out of the hospital. And um, I was re-traumatized by all the stuff that I hadn't dealt with. I used to be really, really disassociated, like extremely, like I couldn't even remember yesterday. And so by going through EMDR, I had a lot of parts and pieces of me and a lot of fractions and a lot of disassociative amnesia. And part of the way that I do feel that I've broken the cycle is that I can sit in it and I'm not running or drinking or starving myself or numbing or over uh, producing or perfectionizing to try to avoid it. I'm actually just trying to take down my masks and really show up raw and honest. And it's hard. 
Well, you're doing a beautiful job of it. Thank you. I needed this conversation. Like I needed the reminder. I got through it all. And at the end of it, the part that was still hard is there's still fear of if something happens to my kids, I feel like I won't be able to survive. I'm like, what do I do with that? Like, how do I how do I get rid of that? And, you know, she's like, just knowing that you can handle it. And that didn't really help. But after hearing you talk today, just the reminder to get back to that spirituality and to not be afraid and that they're still here and that there's love on the other side. Yeah, we are supported by an abundance of love and light. We can't even conceive of it. Each of us has a team of helpers. Some of whom have been human before, and there are moms, there are dads, there are grandmas, there are best friends. Um, some of them have not. Some of them are benevolent beings of light. I don't. There, there's a huge range of what they are and how they present and how they might never present. But we have an abundance of love and light supporting us that is ready to be called on in a moment, in in the span of the blink of an eye. And we need to and should call them in. They want to help. They just do. And this is not to downplay all the hard work that you describe doing as a human being. Because <laughs> we have to we have to do those things too. And I, I get that. I get that. Because I've done it too. You know, um, it's what's enabled me to help other people is unpacking all that like fear programming, right? The fear-based stuff. But once you can connect with that love or even just remind yourself that it exists and pull yourself to that place, um, that that can contribute greatly to your healing. Well, if that isn't a message of hope for all the mamas with trauma out there, I honestly don't know what is. For everyone who's interested in learning more about Amy and the work that she does, please visit her at inspired underscore dying at Instagram, where you can subscribe to her email list. She has a joy of yoga retreat coming up in May of 2024 and all kinds of workshops and offerings that you can find out more about, like I said, at Instagram. Again, thank you to Amy for joining me on today's podcast. Um, it's truly been a gift and the words and connection that I've made with you today, I know is going to serve me um, for a long time. So thank you. We'll see you guys next week at Mama Healing Trauma with Aisha Madden from More Than a Mama series. It's going to be a great podcast. Thanks so much, guys.